listening to Soaring for Souls Radio. The master plan for evangelism lives here. If you are looking for the most effective ways to reach lost souls, you have come to the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who love the Lord and are sharing their best secrets for anyone to become a soul winner. Soaring for Souls, your home for evangelism. Hey everyone, welcome to the Soaring for Souls podcast. On the show today, we have Lance Mosher. Lance is a man of many talents. He's a preacher, an evangelist, an accomplished author of several great books. Uh, He's a photographer and videographer. Lance and his family also spent a number of years as full-time missionaries in New Zealand. And so I'm looking forward to hearing what Lance has to share with us today. But before we do that, I want to say hello to my co-host, Christian Torres. How are you doing today, brother? Hey, Brian, I am doing great as always, and so excited to have Lance here with us. Uh, I know the things that he's going to say are going to bless our lives. Uh, How are you doing, Lance? Hey, I'm better than I deserve. Thank you very much for having me on the show. All right. Well, to begin, Lance, can you tell us a little bit about where you are right now and, and the work that you are currently doing? Right now, I'm on the second floor of the Gardner Center at Freed Hardeman University in the Bible offices, to be very specific. But <laughs> that's pe- that's specific. For, <laughs> yeah, you probably want a little bit more general than that. And I'm serving as the missionary in residence at Freed Hardeman University this semester. And we only have four weeks left of the semester. But I've really enjoyed this school semester. And, and what they did is several years ago, they set up this missionary in residence position for people who are transitioning back into life in the United States after serving for a number of years overseas in, on the mission field. And one of the blessings of this position is that every day I'm surrounded by, number one, students who want to learn, freshmen who haven't um, made it all the way to their senior year and become cynical or something like that. Most of them are so, <laughs> right. you know, I'm an open book, I'm ready to learn. And then and additionally, I'm surrounded by a lot of former missionaries too, who know what it's like to go through this transitional period. And so uh, right across the hall from me, I've got Dr. Matt Cook, who served for a number of years in Peru, and Kevin Moore, who served in New Zealand. And on the floor below us, we've got Mark Blackwelder, who served in Slovakia. And then every now and then I get to interact with Dr. Earl Edwards, who worked in Italy. So uh, always surrounded by missionaries. And uh, if he hadn't passed away three years ago, Stan Mitchell would also be across from me who grew up on the mission field in Zimbabwe. Wow. Yeah, I'm glad you explained that because I didn't know what a, a missionary in residence was, but I had, I had heard that that's what you were doing. And, and uh, yeah, that, that's very interesting. What a, what a great program to, to get <laughs> you back into American society because that was one of the questions I think later on that I was going to ask you was about mm-hmm your transition back into America. So has it been a smooth transition, do you feel like? Yeah, for the most part. And part of it has to do with the fact that uh, they've been keeping me busy. I've been teaching a number of Bible courses here at Freed Hardeman and being involved as a co-host of missions group. And beyond that, almost immediately after we moved back to the state, somebody asked us if we could uh, kind of fill in, if I could fill in as their preacher while I'm here. So I'm now preaching practically every Sunday and have been since July and so I'm so busy that it, it hasn't, you know, homesickness hasn't really set in. Culture shock hasn't hit me so much. But, uh, yeah, it's been a pretty smooth transition, and we're really liking the work, even though we've only got four weeks of it left. Wow. So you say homesickness. So when you're saying homesickness, mm-hmm. you're thinking of New Zealand home. 
Yeah, and we'll probably end up talking about that a little bit more uh, yeah. later on in this show. Yeah, mm-hmm. I imagine so. Um, well, that's interesting. Well, let's talk about um, let's talk about New Zealand because uh, you were a missionary there for a long time, and what an amazing nine, nine years! Nine mm-hmm. years, nine years in New Zealand. Wow, that that's a long. I have. I don't think I've stayed nine years in a place when until I was, uh, if you go back to when I was a kid, so that's, that's a long time in one place. And as a missionary, uh, nonetheless, well, tell our listeners about why you chose New Zealand as a place to do mission work and, and, uh, why it might be a great place for somebody else to go and do missions. All right. Well, the story actually goes back to 2003 when I became a Christian. Uh, Kevin Moore and his family were coming back after serving in Wanganui, for, uh, Wanganui, New Zealand for seven years. And a Sunday after I had become a Christian, I don't know, I was maybe two weeks in the faith, and an elder came to the microphone and said that instead of our normal lesson, we're going to hear a report from a missionary coming home after seven years working on the field. Mm. And I leaned over to my friend and I said, what's a missionary? <laughs> we, we take certain words and phrases for granted sometimes uh, being around Christians, but I wasn't raised in a Christian home per se, so uh, I had never heard that term before. And my friend said, that's somebody who travels the world and teaches people the Bible for a living. Uh, I had visions of grandeur when I heard that, you know, <laughs> I, but, but I did plant a seed in my heart, something that you know, maybe one day I could be I could be a missionary. Mm. And then I, I heard that report from a New Zealand missionary, and I had no idea that maybe a couple of seeds were being planted at that moment. But um, I, I studied abroad as well as a student at Free Hardeman in 2006. And as that missionary seed was watered and became something big in my life, and I had talked to my wife about it in 2009, that maybe that's something we should do with our lives. We kind of set our sights on Europe because I love all of my travels in Europe, specifically Belgium. And so we kind of thought, because as soon as you start telling people that you want to be a missionary, the first question they ask is, well, where are you going to go? Mm-hmm. And so we knew that we had to have some kind of answer to give people. And so mm-hmm. the answer was, we're thinking about Europe. Uh, but, you know, in Acts chapter uh, 16, it says that uh, Paul wanted to go to a couple of different places, but the Holy Spirit did not permit him. And I don't know exactly how that worked in the book of Acts, but to God's credit, we didn't end up going to Europe. While we were thinking about Europe, apparently God knew that uh, we could be better used in New Zealand, and somebody approached us saying that they were trying to form a team to plant the church in Porirua, New Zealand, which is about a half hour outside of Wellington, where Kevin Moore had also served as a single missionary. And so uh, we jumped on board with that, and you asked the question, how did we choose New Zealand? I guess New Zealand chose us, or God chose that work for us. Uh, It just worked out that as we were planning, he gave us the direction. Was your wife as much on board with the idea of of being a full-time missionary somewhere as you were? I always got to be careful when I speak for her. (laughs) uh, she, She warmed up to the idea slowly, but when she saw me, so one day in June 2009, I had just graduated with my bachelor's degree in fine arts. And I was working as a graphic designer. And I came home thinking, I, I can't do this with the rest of my life. I, mm. I can't work for the man. I can't be crammed up in an office designing things for worldly things anymore. Uh, I want to do something full time with my 
life. And she saw that passion and apparently it was contagious enough for her to, yeah, let's look into this. Let's talk to our elders and see if, if they've got anything that could help train us and point us in the right direction. So yeah, she was on board pretty quickly, huh. uh, but it was really hard for her to picture herself living in another country than her mother. Mm. And that was probably <laughs> the hardest thing for her because yeah. she's best friends with her mother. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that is interesting. Well, a couple of those things that are interesting. You know, you, you I didn't grow up in a Christian home, going to church yeah. and things really either. I guess my extended family were members of the church, and my mom was an airing member of the church, I guess. But Easter and Mother's Day was about the extent of it. Anyways, um, when I heard about missionaries and things, same same thing conjured up uh yeah ideas of grandeur but the excitement of travel too and things like that and i think we've talked about this on previous episodes that you know the idea of traveling i think most missionaries would be lying if they didn't say well that was at least part of the reason because they liked the adventure they liked that idea uh but then once you get into it usually you I mean, well, and you probably have it anyway, just the, the love for souls and the love for the evangelism work and, and just the church work in general. And uh, I'm sure that was the case for you. And you also said something about being, uh, it was contagious enough for your wife. And, and uh, you know, sometimes that's all it takes is for us to be excited about mission work and evangelism for other people to get excited about it. And I'm sure there's a great lesson we could talk the rest of the hour uh, on that about. <laughs> Yeah, and whenever I go around reporting and talking about this work, I try to do it in such a passionate way because when I speak to other people who went into the mission field and I ask them, where did you have your start? A lot of people say, one day I was sitting in a pew and I heard a report from a missionary mm. and that did something to my heart that I could not ignore. Wow. So maybe I could be that person for somebody else. That's right. Wow. You never know um, who you're going to influence in your life and uh just like Brian, uh, I was fascinated with mission work, and I was working with a, a group from Arkansas. I, I am originally from Mexico, um, and uh, just working with them and and being encouraged by them and and the lessons that we had. I mean, it was a it was maybe about a week and a half of lessons and evangelism, and I thought one day I'd like to do this. One day I'd like to uh, take this message, the 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 gospel. And tell other people in, in different countries, maybe learn their language, maybe spend time with them and, and encourage them the way that this group encouraged me. Um, how we need to maybe train members to do that, to see that the mission field is, is also bigger than just their, their locality, where, where they're located. Uh, but it goes beyond that. That is awesome. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, uh, what do you wish everyone understood lands about missionaries and mission work maybe something that uh that a lot of people don't know about so a lot of people in america understandably so could never picture themselves in a foreign situation in fact i had one brother tell me i couldn't imagine packing my bags and packing my family and taking them to another part of the world and I'm not exactly sure what he was thinking about. A lot of people think about safety or finances or just discomfort of being in another culture. Now, granted, uh, I think it's fine for him to feel that way. And I think it's great that he's serving in his hometown as a town that he grew up in, because without his leadership and evangelism and example, the lost and the saints would suffer. So I think it's fine that he can't picture himself going to the other side of the world because God needs him in his hometown. Mm -hmm. But, um, but because of sometimes that mentality, 
a lot of people project their trepidation onto other people. And, uh, and so therefore, if I come, come back uh, on a furlough or after living in New Zealand for nine years, the first week after being back in the United States, people start asking the question, well, how does it feel to be home? Mm. And, uh, uh, you know, take me back to Wellington, New Zealand, and I'll let you know. Yeah. Because Wellington, <laughs> right. New Zealand is home. I spent most of my adult life, my children were born in Wellington. That's all they know as home. Uh, yeah, they can speak English, and they even have American accents because they have American parents, but that doesn't mean they're American. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't long ago, just a, a few weeks ago, my son was holding a fork, and he said, do Americans hold their fork this way? That is weird. <laughs> yeah. 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 And he still doesn't know how to identify. Is he an American? Mm. Well, his passport says so, but you know, New Zealand is home to him, and it's yeah. home to me. And so I do remember before I had ever traveled the world, I learned from Mark Cooper. He said one of the, the hardest things for a missionary is whenever he's on an airplane, he's on his way home. Mm. Uh, doesn't matter which direction he's flying. <laughs> and so in my case... My passport, you know, when I arrive in Los Angeles or Houston and the customs officer stamps my passport, he'll tell me welcome home because he's looking at an American passport. But my heart breaks anytime someone refers to America as home, as true as it is. It's just I, I left behind the people I love and ministered to and ministered with for nine years. I invested everything. And that's one of the things is as soon as I moved to New Zealand and started working with Kevin, I said, look, I'm an open book. Give me any advice that might come to your mind. And the first piece of advice he told me was, as soon as you arrive on the field, which I had already arrived, he said, start calling this country home because you don't want homesickness to be a stumbling block to the people you've come to reach. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as I could, I started seeing New Zealand as home and it didn't take long for that to truly be what my heart said. This is home for me right now. And so I guess your question was, what's one thing that I wish everyone understood about missionaries? And culture shock is something that a lot of people think of. But part of that culture shock is not just the fact that you're encountering a culture, but it's you're missing your home culture. Yeah. And and America is weird after you've been away for nearly a decade. <laughs> I think America's weird anyways. Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything. Um <laughs> It's, it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot to think about in, in, in dealing with that. And, um, I think uh, we miss part of what is common to us, what is, I don't know, being in, in a place, um, again, I'm, I'm not trying to make it about, about me and, and my situation, but I can relate, uh, with what you're saying. Uh, the place where you grow up kind of shapes your mentality, the way that you think, uh, the, the jokes that you say and, and, uh, a lot about who you are, your personality is shaped by the place where you grow up in or the, the place that you live the most. And um, coming here, of course, uh, I had to adjust to all of those things and, and learn a new way of speaking and thinking. And, and it is uh, really incredible how this place now for me feels like home because I've been here a really long time and, and I have friends and family. Uh, but also I feel like that every, everywhere I go, what I find where I find Christians who love God and are passionate um, about evangelism. That is, that is great thoughts. Thank you, Lance, for that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that ties back to what I said at the beginning about homesickness. Yeah. When I'm homesick, it's for New Zealand. Yeah. Mm. And you, you said something about um, the, the person who might say something, well, I could never take my, 
I could never take my family outside the country. And, and you're right. I mean, uh, yeah, the Lord needs workers here. Well, definitely. Uh, we definitely need uh, his workers here in America, too. Uh, but one of the things that one of our previous guests had said, and maybe it rings true in New Zealand, is that maybe, you know, a campaigner might go over go over to New Zealand and, and maybe it's the arrogance or something that just kind of rubs off and, you know, that they, that, oh, America's better. Everything we do is, mm. is better and you need to learn how we do it. Does that ring as true in New Zealand as maybe it does in some of the third world countries that we might go to, do you think, or... Um, that, you know, a campaigner would go and, and just try to push their culture on the New Zealanders or, or, or maybe on the flip side, they think everything the New Zealanders do is better than America. And then it's kind of backwards even on that. Uh, does that make sense? Or do you see that yeah. at all? I saw it just a little bit. Uh, okay. And I wonder, I wonder why we didn't see it as much as other uh, parts of the world might see it. Maybe it's because uh, whenever we had a group of campaigners coming months before they even got on the airplane, we were meeting with them virtually as much as we possibly could. And we would prepare them for the campaign. And of course, we prepared them for another culture and how we want their minds and their hearts to be open and arrogance should never be a part of this. And if you do have questions about the way we do things, you can ask them in private, you know, make sure the words weird and strange are out of your vocabulary. If it's different, you could acknowledge the difference, but don't call it weird or strange. Uh, we did have one campaigner who was apparently it was toward the end of the campaign and she was just tired of the food and somebody put food in front of her and she pushed it away. She said, we would never eat this at home. Mm, but wow. that was, that was the extreme. That was the okay. worst of all of it that I have ever experienced. Um, most of the campaigners who come, they have been prepared well enough so that whenever they arrive, they're so open-minded and curious so that they start asking questions and they think things are interesting and they reserve their judgment for later. And sometimes you're right. Sometimes they think the things in New Zealand are even better than America. And I've got to admit to that as well, is that most of the differences between the two countries, I prefer the New Zealand way of doing things. Sure. Uh, but I've got to be careful not to let that turn into arrogance. Or if I'm constantly thinking about that, I'll never find my place back in America either. I won't feel like I can settle into a work here if I'm constantly thinking about the way we do it back mm -hmm. home, if we can put that in quotation marks. That's a good point. That's a good point. I really like the idea of... of virtually meeting and, and getting them already thinking about the cultural differences. I, I'd not thought about doing that. And that's, that's a really good idea. Um, well, let's transition a little bit. And, uh, you, as we already said, are an esteemed author of a number of books actually. And the one that, uh, I initially became familiar with you through, uh, is when, uh, or is transformed and, it had a name before that that you could talk about if you wanted to. But um, anyway, it is um, a book about your life and your spiritual journey. And um, just can you share with us sort of the motivation behind that book and 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 uh, what made you what made you want to write it and what do you want readers to get out of it? Okay, thank you. So when I became a Christian back in two thousand three, like many people who learn the truth, they're very zealous. Uh, their knowledge might not be very high, so their zeal is through the roof and their knowledge is at the floor level. And I tried my best to share the gospel with, with my friends, family, even acquaintances, and I did a pretty poor job. But my zeal was enough to captivate their attention. 
but I wasn't very successful yet. And then as time went on and I get, got trained in evangelism, even then when I went back to some of my family members and tried to talk to them, they, I felt like I had possibly burned those bridges mm. uh, because so whenever I would open my mouth, they would pretty much stop me. They would say, Hey, let's not turn this into any type of debate mm. anything like that. So I thought later on, maybe if I write to them, they can't stop me and they'll, they'll see a labor of love in this and they will at least take the time to read something that I've written. So I sat down and started writing letters to my family members. And then after writing a couple of them, I realized most of them can pretty much have the exact same body. The only difference would be the greeting and the conclusion. And so I, I just wrote a generic letter to begin with. And then soon enough, I had 100 pages, 150 pages. And I realized also, if I wrote it in such a way that it wasn't tied to my specific situation, but left it generic enough that anybody could relate to this person who was me, uh, that it could resonate with anybody who was in my position of searching for the truth. And so that's what I did is instead of turning it into personal letters to my family members, I wrote a book, which I thought gave it a better chance of being received as well, because uh, most of my family, they are very proud of the things that we've accomplished. And they were proud of us when we said that we wanted to be missionaries and so on, even if they weren't interested in listening to us. And yeah. so that was the motivation behind the book was just to write a letter to my family. But then I made it where if my family could benefit from it, then so can a complete stranger. And so, yeah, I self-published it as Conformed, Reborn, Transformed, which is a mouthful, admittedly. But back then, I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, <laughs> World Video Bible School got a hold of it. And Rudy Kane asked if, if he could publish it. And after lots of conversation and tweaking, we eventually renamed it to Transformed, A Spiritual Journey. And it's been published by World Video Bible School since 2015. And I guess, what do I want people to get out of it? Hopefully, what God could do for them, what the gospel does for those who are searching for the truth. And it's my story of how Jesus and his message transformed me because I was willing to listen to the message of Jesus. And any person, I think, who is religiously minded and picks it up, they'll hopefully encounter uh, the soul-saving gospel. They'll find the scriptures that will teach them what they must do to be saved and be a part of God's kingdom. I've read the book, Lance. It's it's an awesome book. I love the book. You did a great job with it. Um, and so what you're saying is that you could just, instead of sitting down, and obviously that didn't quite work with your family to sit down and talk to them about the scriptures, as most of us can relate about burning bridges with our families, especially when we were newly Christians with all that zeal and not enough knowledge, um, I can certainly relate. But what you're saying is that this book is written in a way where I could just hand it out to people on the street, right? Just, just and yeah. anybody could pick this book up and read it, and, and they would know enough that they could become a child of God. Is that correct? I believe so. Yeah, that's one of the motivations of, of the book. Now, what I would, of course, encourage anybody to do is have that personal relationship and try to study the Bible with them. That's, I think, more effective. Don't yeah. just hand out a book and, and wipe your hands and say, I'm finished with my evangelism. But when all else fails or you feel like you'll never have the opportunity to sit down with this person, you could always hand them a book, maybe get their contact information and say, hey, could I call you in about three weeks and see what you thought about this so we can discuss it a little bit more? Right. Perfect. And as yeah. Transformed was yeah, Transformed was written primarily to help religious people, uh, people like me uh, back in 2002 and 2003. 
but I also knew that um, if someone ho- handed it to maybe an agnostic or an atheist, it wouldn't do much for those people. So that's where my third book came in, Searching for Brandon Basin, is a story okay. similar to Transformed. It, well, there are some parts that are similar. It's the idea of a journey, a spiritual journey. But the primary character in the book is not religious. He's even borderline atheistic. And so I'm hoping that searching for Brandon Basin can accomplish the same thing, but for those who are not religious. And you also have a third book as well, right? Yes. So the the second book that I wrote was Clouded by Emotion, Studies on the Holy Spirit and Miracles. And uh, I'm actually working on eight more books. Oh, wow. Yeah. So right now it's April 2022. Hopefully April 2023, I'll have two, maybe three more books published. Wow. That's awesome. I look forward to I look forward to those. That's fantastic. Did did uh, I, I guess our our audience is probably curious, and I am too, because you mentioned your family in Burning Bridges, and that's one of the reasons you wrote the book. Have any of them showed any interest in obeying the gospel or anything since you've written the book? Yes, and for the sake of privacy, I'll be vague sure, here. Sure, sure. But uh, there, there is even one family member whom I'm very close with. Uh, he and I ended up spending. I'd guess around four or five months studying the Bible together by phone Mm -hmm. uh, every single week. And that was really good. It it was so much more than I could have ever expected when I was burning those bridges. Uh, But it turned out that he was primarily interested in the Bible studies for academic purposes. He's Mm -hmm. the type who loves the history Mm -hmm. channel and the discovery channel. And anytime those channels say something about, for instance, the gospel of Judas or evidence of uh, the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea. He wants to, you know, kind of study those things. But, okay. but it really was a blessing to finally be able to study the Bible with various family members. Yeah, but uh, I'll uh, probably end it there because I just I, I want to be careful and yeah, not burn any more bridges if they happen to absolutely. Listen to yeah. like <laughs> well, did you always want to be an author? Hmm. Yeah, I guess so. And I had forgotten about that fact. But in the second grade, I I remember this about two three years ago. Uh, at, well after I had published a book, um, that in the second grade, Miss Diane, my second grade teacher, asked the class, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And everybody was saying, like, I want to be a singer, a rock star, a fireman, right. an astronaut. And I said, I want to be an author. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's cool. The only second grader in history that right. wants to be an yeah. author at eight years old yep. or however, seven or six. <laughs> and it's really interesting because um, she had the whole class write a story about um, whatever we wanted. And I wrote a story about a bully named Cody. And I had forgotten that fact as well. Wow. Until after I had written Searching for Brandon Basin. I'm not going to spoil much, but in that book, there's a bully and you can only guess what his name is. Mm. So (laughs) apparently that stuck with me. I I was not thinking about that story that I wrote a long time ago. But then, uh, you know, there he is. There he is again as a character. You just always people. associated that name Cody with. So any Codys out there? No, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, sorry, guys. Watch out. <laughs> and that's awesome. Uh, well, you mentioned uh, dealing with family, and, and again, um, I'm not going to pursue that. But are there any tips or, or or things or encouragement that you can tell the audience and and us as well? Because we have families, and and we try to reach them. Uh, I was not raised in, in the church, and uh, uh, is there anything that you have learned in dealing with your family that, that has worked or or certain tips and tricks that you can share with us? 
Yes, uh, the, the primary trick would be, not trick, uh, tip would be to ask questions. Um, because so often we come in with facts and information and we try to just unload all those things on, on people who are not prepared for it. So any school of evangelism you ever sit through or, or listen to is going to mention the benefit of developing interests. But by the way, and some even abbreviated as DI, uh, but by the way, that's not exclusive to evangelism. I mean, think about uh, a guy who meets a girl and he's interested in her. Um, he doesn't just get on one knee the moment that he meets her. If he is thinking about marrying her, he needs to first develop her interest before he starts providing her opportunities uh, to say yes to. And so the same thing for us, if we're going to approach somebody, we think it would be really good to have a Bible study with this person. Um, if I start telling them all the things that they've got wrong in their life and all of the theology that needs to be fixed mm. and whatever, and then we say, hey, would you like to study the Bible about that? It's like, I've just told you why you're wrong, and now I'm going to prove to you why you're wrong. Are you interested <laughs> in that exercise? That's so true, um, yeah. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> so uh, asking questions and engaging in good conversations, but then also being committed to not telling somebody anything that they can discover on their own. And that's because we live in a postmodern world. And we've got to be familiar with how postmodern thinkers think. Anytime that I present a fact to somebody affected by the postmodern world, which is practically everybody, is that I've been trained to filter everything through the veil of opinion. And if I don't agree with it, then I can just dismiss it as, well, that's just your thoughts. That's your view. There's, mm. there's no such thing as uh, truth. And so that's really interesting that you say that, but I don't have to believe what you believe. But uh, there's value in having an interesting conversation with them, developing their interest in the things that might be available to them that they haven't discovered yet. And then, of course, in the Bible study, giving them the opportunity to discover it for themselves. Because the moment that you start teaching something without using the scriptures, even if it's true, it's easy enough for them to dismiss that as, oh, well, that's just the way you see it. That's interesting, but I don't have to accept that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that. Wow. Well, um, it sits, uh, I'm trying to think in here, uh, what is something that you would like listeners to know about, about you and, and your work as a servant of God that they may not already know? I know that you talked about a, a variety of things and, and, and books, you know, that Brian mentioned and, and uh, I read Transform, but is there anything, uh, again, about your work as a servant of God that they may not already know? Well, that that's a really good question. And for me to find that one thing, I just, you know, two hours from now, I'll remember what it what it should be. But I don't know what comes <laughs> to my mind right now, except that, you know, um, I'm involved in a variety of passions. And I think most of the listeners would as well. What is your passion? Some would say quilting, some would say baking, some would be my pets or my children or whatever. Yeah. And the fact that uh, you can find a way to glorify God with all of your passions. I'm not at all trying to say that if you love hunting, then that can be your worship on Sunday or something <laughs> like that. But there is a way to glorify God in all of these passions. And when God created humans, he put them on the earth for a reason. And part of it had to do with to cultivate the ground and uh, make sure that we are um, taking care of the creation, but there's this opportunity truly to enjoy creation for 
the purpose God gave it to us. And so I love dabbling in creativity and woodworking, photography, videography, as Brian said in the beginning. And the one thing that I want to do with all of these things, though, is not just do it for fun or for profit, but to do it with to glorify God as well. And so, um, in fact, one of the books that I'm working on is called Sweeping Aotearoa. And I can't remember the exact subtitle of the book, but it's 10 years of working in New Zealand and the photography that has come out of that. Uh, and it's going to be a photography, devotion, prayer, journal, journey book. And mm. uh, I can't wait to share with the world the photos that I was able to take while living in the most beautiful place in the world and then use that to glorify God. Wow. Yeah, I imagine that would be a great place to be a photographer uh, and Absolutely. videographer. Yep, you, you can't take a bad photo of a landscape in New Zealand. I uh, I was looking up, and, and I'm just going to show my American arrogance here because I was <laughs> looking up some crazy facts about New Zealand uh, <laughs> right before. And uh, did you know that New Zealand has the world's smallest dolphin? Maybe you saw Hector's dolphin is what it's called. I don't know. Did you see that when you're over there? <laughs> you know, I'm teaching an entire course on New Zealand this semester oh, nice. at Freed Hardeman. Uh, uh -huh. And so not only did I live there for nine years, uh, and am I also teaching a whole bunch of people interesting facts about New Zealand? That's still one thing I had never heard before. Hey, oh, there you go. <laughs> You're welcome, well, right? <laughs> who knows if this website was even right? And uh, yeah. yeah, I don't even know. You read it on the internet. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be true. <laughs> Man, come on. <laughs> well, okay, I'll stop there with my my uh, arrogance about New Zealand. So uh, anyway, we'll leave it to the we'll leave it to the pro. But. Um, no doubt, uh, Lance, you are a man who loves the Lord, Amen. loves the lost, loves to do uh, the work in the kingdom, and we so much appreciate all that you you are doing. Um, it is time for the soul-saving hot seat. And these are questions that we ask each one of our guests and uh, to provide just simple tips and tricks of the trade, kind of like we're already doing. But uh, Lance, are you ready? Sure. Here we go. All right. Uh, number one, what is your favorite podcast, book, or resource besides the Bible that has helped you the most? Ooh, well, I'm going to have to first break the rule and okay. maybe provide, <laughs> provide two with also the caveat that, man, it'll be hard for me to nail down just one. And so mm -hmm. ask me again tomorrow and I'll probably give you another resource, but you <laughs> right. only want one and I'm going to give you two. Uh, the podcast that comes to my mind that a lot of people haven't heard of, and maybe that's why I want to nominate this one is uh, Holy Ghost Stories. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a fantastic podcast that tells Bible stories uh, with a little bit more narrative and a little bit of dramatization and some music in the background and that's something that we actually put on road trips for our boys to encounter Bible stories in a non-Bible class way. And so Holy Ghost Stories is a podcast I would recommend uh, Bible students to just enjoy and listen to without having to open the scriptures. But related to opening the scriptures, the second resource I would recommend almost every Bible student to get is a reader's version of the Bible. And what I mean by that is a copy of the Bible and I'm not even going to plug a translation here, whatever your preferred translation, or maybe a new translation you want to read that doesn't include the chapter and verse numbers. 
you just open it up and there's the book of Romans and you know, it just starts, you, you read it like a book, like the original readers would have read it uh, without okay. the verse and the chapter divisions. Yeah. Interesting. Very good. All right. Well, what is one piece of advice you would give to an evangelist or a missionary who is starting out? All right. This one's easy. No caveats. There's one piece of advice I want every aspiring evangelist or missionary to think about, and that is make sure that you're evangelistic now. Mm. Uh, there's something that I don't know where this idea comes from, but a lot of people default to this idea that the airplane is the magical switch. Now, I'm not a missionary now, but somewhere in the air, that switch is going to get flipped. So yeah. that once I land, I'm an evangelist then, or I'm a missionary now, or then. But if you're not involved in evangelism right now, what makes you think you're going to be an effective evangelist once you get to India or once hmm. you get to, I don't, New England? You've got to be doing what you can right now while you're thinking about it. First of all, it has the benefit, of course, you're going to reach the lost where you are now. Doesn't that have eternal benefits? But then, of course, it prepares you for the full-time work that you're committing to getting into as well. So if you don't know where to start, there are plenty of schools of evangelism we can point to, Make Disciples Training Program, or the House to House, Heart to Heart School of Evangelism, or just your local elders and ask them, hey, who here is a good evangelist in the congregation? Let me shadow him, let me shadow her, so that we can be involved in evangelism right now before we even think about buying our plane tickets. I like that. That is that is perfect. All right, and the last one, What is what has been, maybe this is an obvious question, what has been your favorite place to do mission work or evangelism work? I, of course, want to say New Zealand because of so many reasons, but the influence of that has to do with how I think of New Zealand with my heart, and that's my home. But when I really think about this question, it's similar to the question of, hey, what's your favorite book of the Bible? And, mm. and the answer is the one that I'm studying right now, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, you know, I, I studied Philippians last year, and I was crazy about the book of Philippians, but now I'm in Galatians, and boy, was I missing out not studying that book in depth things like that. And so what's my favorite book of the Bible? The one I'm studying in depth right now. And the same thing with, with this question is I've spent time in, in Fiji. I've spent time uh, working with Australians. I've spent time in New Zealand and America doing evangelistic work. And with this past school year at Preet-Hardeman University uh, and, and also serving the community of Henderson, I've seen many people come to the Lord through the efforts of the people in Henderson. And I've been involved in some of that. God has blessed me to reach a lot of people this past year. So right now I'm just thriving in this field and I love it. And I thank God that he's seen fit to put me here for this school year. And so is this my favorite mission field? I don't know, but it's the one <laughs> that I'm studying right now. So that's what I'm going to submit as the answer. But next year we're going to be in new, or actually next month, we're going to be in new Orleans and we're going to settle down there for a few years to do more evangelistic work. And I imagine this time next year, Chalmette or new Orleans, Louisiana is going to be my favorite mission field. Well, I'm glad you answered that way, and I have two comments from that. Uh, number one, that does seem to be a common thread with um, our guests who answer that question: is is the work they're doing right now the local work, or or you know, home, or or whatever, whatever they say? And I think it's probably a common thread with just somebody with an evangelistic heart, somebody yep. who truly does love the Lord and truly does want to, uh, you know, reach lost souls. And it, I think that's got to be the common 
theme there of these people we're interviewing, just like you, Lance, who who do who does love the Lord. And I did hear about yeah, I heard a long time ago. I think that you were moving to to Chalmette and. Um, yeah, and, and I didn't know you were going to Tennessee first, but that that's exciting. So you say that's coming up how soon? Uh, I guess exactly one month from today. Oh, wow. So you are about to so, be moving. Yes. Okay, well, we'll be praying for that work, brother. That's that's wonderful. I'm excited for you. Definitely. Well, Lance, uh, I've, I took notes, and I really like what you had to say about uh, this transition. Um, I think of... Um, I don't even know what to call them. I guess when a diver comes back up uh, and dealing with the uh, compression down there, I I really think that that is a wonderful thing for missionaries to go through this transition and adjust themselves um, back. It also, uh, um, I really like the comment that you made about how you guys prepare missionaries and, and uh, maybe go through a series of questions and, and uh, advice that they need. Boy, how we need to, prepare each other in in that way and uh, particularly those who are going to be traveling to different countries uh, so that they give a good impression and they're ready for that and uh, definitely going to check out the uh, Holy Ghost stories and uh, I've always wanted to get one of those readers versions of the Bible my wife is going to kill me so I'm going to try to hide that from her Um, you know, uh, hopefully she will not listen to this or maybe I should edit this part, uh, all together. Uh, but, uh, thank you so very much for all the work that you are doing. Thank you for being an inspiration for many evangelists out there. I know that uh, all of these things that you have mentioned, uh, I'm going to keep them in my heart and I know Brian as well. And, and many other people listening, um, thank you for, for all that work. And, uh, Lance, would you like to tell our listeners where, where they can find out more about you and your work? Absolutely. So overall, if you want to learn about my evangelism and mission work, you can go to MosierMinistries.com. And my last name is M-O-S-H-E-R. So MosierMinistries.com. If you want to find out about my books, go to LanceMosierBooks.com. If you want to read about just me and my photography, you can start off as LanceMosier.com, but that can lead you to LanceMosierCreations.com. It's probably more than what you asked for, guys. But I also want to plug something else I'm involved in, and that's the Make Disciples Training Program. Hopefully it's self-explanatory. It's a seminar, but also a 10-week program where we intensively train people for personal evangelism. And you can check that out at MakeDisciplesProgram.com. Yes, uh, I encourage all of you, if you want to look at my books or my writing, go to LanceMosierBooks.com. Wonderful. No, that's, that's exactly what we asked for, and we'll, uh, we'll include those in the show notes. And uh, so appreciate that, and I want to second what Christian said. Just appreciate all you're doing. And give God the glory, brothers. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Please remember to click the follow button and join us next time on the Soaring for Souls podcast, your home for evangelism.